Welcome to Crossroads Church in Rowlett. We're so glad you're here. Join us here for our weekly sermons or visit crossroadsrowlett.org for more information. Well, good morning, guys. Um, if you would, open up your Bibles, turn to Exodus chapter 20. Um, Exodus chapter 20. Uh, if you don't know me, my name is J.D. Lowry, one of our teaching pastors here. Also, I have the distinct honor and pleasure slash privilege of overseeing your young adult ministry. Um, yeah, what up? So if you're a young adult, love to meet you. Uh, also, selfish plug, tomorrow you can come hang out with us. We're going to go play some putt-putt down at Top Golf in Dallas, and we'd love to see you there. It's going to be 6 p.m. Love to invite you. Um, awesome. Well, we're going to continue in our Top 10 series. Um, continuing our top 10 series, we are walking through the 10 commandments of scripture. And today we're looking at the third commandment. If we look in Exodus 20 verse 7, it says this, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for this opportunity to to study your word, to teach your word, to, to learn from it. Lord, I pray that we would uh, be touched by it, Lord. I pray that we'd be convicted by it, that we'd be challenged by it, Lord. I pray for those of us here who need to hear a word from you, Lord. I pray that you would uh, teach your own sermon to them right now. Um, God, you're good. We praise you. Speak through us now. It's your name I pray. Amen. Um, apathy is a deadly epidemic taking place in our world today. Um, I've certainly seen it be true. I know that you have as well in the world throughout. There's, a- there's an epidemic of apathy. But it's also true in the church. There is apathy, even perhaps in our own hearts and in our own lives, we can see it creeping up. And I wonder if there is growing apathy because people do not know the reason to fight on. Um, I brought a picture here of a lady named Florence Chadwick. Florence Chadwick, she was a swimmer. Uh, Back in the early 1900s, she was a very accomplished long-distance swimmer. Uh, she once, more than once, actually swam across the English Channel, which is about 20 miles wide. She swam it through that cold water, made it all the way from France to, to England, and then from England to France. Think about this. Like, she swam to a whole different country. That's incredible. She swam from an island to a continent. That's amazing. Um, on July 4th, 1952, Chadwick attempted to swim across the Catalina Channel, which stretches from Catalina Island to the Palos Verde Peninsula on the Southern California coast. It's about 25 miles wide. After almost 16 hours of swimming through a thick fog in frigid water and nearby sharks, which her support crew was actually shooting at with rifles to try to scare away, she gave up when she was about just about half a mile from the land. She later told a reporter, look, I'm not excusing myself, but if I could have seen the land, I might have made it. Two months later, she attempted that very same feat and succeeded, making the journey to Catalina in about 13 hours and 47 minutes, two hours faster than the previous record, which was held by a man. Um, She failed in that first attempt because she she couldn't see what she was working towards. When we don't know why what we're doing matters, we have a tendency to give up and or even not try in the first place. Now, we're studying the Ten Commandments, and only very, there's probably very few of us that know why they matter or why we even ought to follow them. Why does any of this matter? Why should I listen? Well, the first reason I would give us that we should listen, and it's going to be found in your notes, is that God's Word matters. God's Word matters. 
Last weekend, I performed my very first wedding that I've ever done. Uh, first wedding, yeah, what up? Um, my sister-in-law uh, was marrying my now current brother-in-law. It was a successful wedding, right? We did it. Um, she married him, and they asked me to do the wedding. And it was interesting in that whole planning process because some, at times, maybe you've experienced this in your marriage, at times what the groom was telling me and what the bride were telling me seemed to conflict. I don't, know, y'all, I don't know if y'all have experienced that before. Um, and when, you're, when the wedding planning is going on, when you're officiating the wedding and you get conflicting messages, you know who you should listen to? The wife. That's exactly right. In Exodus 20, verse 1, and God spoke all these things saying, see, when the wife speaks regarding a wedding, you should listen. And when God speaks, we should listen. His words matter more than any one of us. His words matter more than anyone on TV. They are the expression or the revelation of who he is. And all that we know about God, we know because he has chosen to reveal that about himself. See, God's words matter matter more than any human leader's. He's the creator, and so he stands above any who could even speak. He stands above his creation. Many people perhaps even in the church, will elevate others in the society and listen to oftentimes people in our, in our society will listen to the, the quote-unquote experts and will elevate their words above the words of our own God. And the wisdom, can I just say, the wisdom of this world is wrong. Flat out, period, end of story. It is incorrect. Scripture says that in 1 Corinthians 3.9. The wisdom of this world is folly with God. Hear me. This is God's word. The words in the Bible They matter more than any other words out there. I'm going to read from 2 Timothy today, just real quick. Uh, Tell me this doesn't sound like our world after I read it. 2 Timothy chapter 3, it says this, But understand this, in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Now, tell me that doesn't sound like our world today. Now, let's see how Paul continues in that very same chapter, what he says in response to a world that is lying to you and telling you false things and running you down. In response to that world, listen to what Paul says. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. See, this world will lie to you, and it will continue to lie to you. People all around us, perhaps some of us, are believing the lies that the world is telling us. Hear me, if you're in Christ, you should follow the words of your God. You should follow the words of Scripture. God is well within his right to tell us what to do, and we should follow. So God's words matter, but like in regards to, to this commandment, we, sh- we should follow it because God's name matters. God's name matters. Verse 7, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. 
See, in biblical times, names had much more significance than we treat them today, right? Um, we're, uh, my wife and I were expecting our firstborn in October. It's going to be, yeah. What up? Uh, it's going to be a boy, so we're excited about that. Um, and I, I'm realizing as we're expecting this, this son, I'm realizing the pressure that comes with picking out a name. I don't know if you guys have thought about this, but the name that I choose for my son is the name that God will call them. Like whenever, he, whenever he's praying to the Lord, I don't know if you've had, ever had those moments. I certainly have when God's been like, John David, I need you to like do this or do that or go this direction. Like I've been led by the Lord using my name, but my name, my parents gave me. And one day my son is going to be in a moment where he is confused. Perhaps he, I pray that he calls out to the Lord and the Lord's going to respond to him and say his name and then give him direction. That's a powerful thing. Now, like, you know, if we're looking at names today, lots of names are selected not because of what they mean, but just because perhaps how they sound. Um, it was funny to me as I was researching, did you know that the name Emily went on an absolute tear? as the most popular girl's name in the United States for 11 years. From 1996 to 2007. We got any Emilys in here? What, yeah, what's up? What's up? Um, glad you're here. That's awesome. Um, I might run down your name here in a second. I'm sorry. Uh, does anybody know what the name Emily means? It means rival, laborious, and eager. Does anybody know what the, name, what the word laborious means? If you're married to Emily, don't amen this. Right? It means requiring considerable effort and time. <laughs> Any fathers of Emily's here that would give an amen to that, perhaps? Now, here's the deal. Emily's a great name. I love the name Emily. It's awesome. Um, it sounds pretty, and people know how to pronounce it. That's all, those are all valuable things. That's, that's a good thing. It's good by today's standards. But by biblical times, the meaning of that name might not have been the most flattering name to have. And today's parents, we're naming our kids based off personal preference, but people, you know, they liked the way Emily sounded, so they picked it. Parents, today we're going by perhaps what sounds cool, or what is the weirdest way you can possibly spell a name. Which, can I just say, millennial and Gen Z parents, can we please stop this? Like, I've, I brought along some examples of names that actually exist. The first one is David. D-A-F-Y-D-D? That's a real name, guys. Come, come on. Come on now. Next one is uh, Jason, which I love the name Jason. It's a fantastic name. But how's it spelled? J-A-Y-C-E-S-O-N. Fun sidebar. Uh, I once met a guy named Albert, and he named his son Albert's son, which I thought was funny. Um, <laughs> Jasmine, here's another one, J-A-Z-Z-M-Y-N, this one might be my favorite, Ryan, M-R-R-A-Y-A-N, come, come on now, and the last one, Zachary, Z-A-K-K-E-R-Y, come on, what are we doing, guys? Like, all of these children's eyes, people would be misspelling their name, and it's not because those people can't spell, it's because you can't, Right? Now, if you're named one of these names, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for picking on your name here today. Um, really, though, you shouldn't be mad at me. You should be mad at your parents, okay, um, if you think about it. Uh, in the Bible, people were named based off of, like, who they were or who they were going to be. 
Um, in the verse 7 of Exodus 20, the, the word for name here is the, the Hebrew word sem, which means standing, reputation, or fame. So what they will be known for. And it makes sense if you look at biblical names. Abraham means father of nations. Makes sense. He's the father of nations. Benjamin, a favorite son. If you know the story of Benjamin, that makes sense as well. Daniel means God is my judge. Which how powerful is that if you know Daniel's story? David means beloved. Isaac means he will laugh. Isaiah, God is salvation. Jacob, surplanter. Joel, Yahweh is God. John, God is gracious. Joseph, Jehovah will increase. Joshua, God is salvation. Josiah means God supports. Matthew, gift of God. Nathan, he gave. Stephen, the first martyr, means crown. Means crown. Timothy means honoring God. Some of the female names, Abigail means fathers rejoice. Anna means gracious. Ariel, lion of God. Bethel, house of God. Charity means dear or beloved. Diana means heavenly and divine. Elizabeth means God's promise or God is my oath. Hannah means grace. Joanna means God is gracious. Ruth is friend. Sarah is princess. Names meant something more than just what sounded cool. Joshua, I just read it, means God is salvation. And what's something that's fascinating about that is that Jesus' Hebrew name was Yeshua, which is Joshua, which means God is salvation. God, Jesus, is salvation. How amazing is that? So whenever he, in the story of Zacchaeus, whenever, you all all know the story of Zacchaeus, that wee little man and a wee little man was he, right? Jesus came to his house, and Scripture says that whenever he came to his house, he declared that salvation has come to this house. And salvation had come to his house because his name meant salvation, but who he was was also salvation. When we speak the name of God, we are speaking the name Yahweh. What is in the name of God? The the name of God is the very description of his essence, of who God is. When we use the name of our Lord, it's not just like any other word or even any other name. With this should come extreme reverence and fear. It should cause us to tremble when we use the name of God. I'm going to read verse 7 again. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. See, the, the word Lord here is ca- all capitalized in my Bible. Anytime it's, all, anytime it's all capitalized like that, it's because it is not actually the Hebrew word Lord, it is Yahweh. And when the, the Hebrews would write the, the name Yahweh, they didn't have vowels, they would just write the, the essentially in English, the, the letters would be Y-H-W-H. And that name means I am. It's the name of God. And when the Jewish scribes were copying down the Old Testament and they would write the name Yahweh, before they could write it, they would be writing, you know, they'd be copying down because they're handwriting scripture. So they'd be copying down the scripture. They know what's coming. They're writing it down. And then whenever they would come to the, this Lord, whenever they would come to the name Yahweh, they would come to this word that they had to write, what they would do is they would stop writing. They would wash down their pen. You know what they do next? They would go and they would wash off their entire bodies. Then they would wash their hands seven times before they could write the name Yahweh. And if you look at this verse, and he, like, I'll read it. You shall not take the name of the Lord. So they wash their hands, wash their body, wash the pen. Your God in vain. For the Lord, they wash their bodies, wash their pen, wash their hands, and write. That was seven words later. And they would have done it twice in that sentence. It shows the reverence and the respect that the Hebrews had for the name of their God. 
That was the, that amount. They did that because of who God is. He is worthy. Can I say, he's worthy of that level of respect. He's worthy of that level of effort. Let's talk for a second about the greatness of God simply by going through the names of God, all right? He is Yahweh, which means the Lord, God. He is Adonai, which means master. He is Elohim, which means the creator God. He is El Roy, which mean the, means the God who sees me. He got that name from an Egyptian slave girl named Hagar who got pregnant by Abraham, and she was cast away. She was running for her life, and she was by, in the desert, and God found her and saw her in her affliction, just an Egyptian slave girl, and she declared that you are El Roy. You're the God who sees me. Perhaps some of us are in positions where you know, sin was committed and you weren't involved in it. You were just collateral damage. Can I just say God is El Roy to you? God sees you in the midst of that? That's true. He is El Roy. He is El Shaddai, which means the God Almighty. He is El Elyon, which means my Redeemer lives. He is Abba, which means Father. He is Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals. He is Jehovah Nisi, the Lord is my banner. He is Jehovah Shalom, the Lord is peace. He is Jehovah Ra, my Lord, my shepherd. He is Jehovah Rapha, the Lord that heals. He is Jehovah Shema, the Lord is there. He is Jehovah Sidkenu, which means the Lord is our righteousness. He is Jehovah Mekidoshkim, which means the Lord who sanctifies you. He is El Olam, which means everlasting God. He is Kana, jealous. He is Jehovah Shabbat, which means the Lord of hosts. And hear me, church, he is also Jehovah Jireh which means the Lord is my provider. He got that name in Genesis 22, verses 13 and 14. And Abraham lifted up his eyes. Abraham is taking Isaac up the mountain to sacrifice his son on the mountain of Mount Moriah. And he says this in verse 13, And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. And it, as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. See, he declared God, Jehovah Jireh, on that mountain. Do you guys know that that is the same mountain on which Jesus was also, by his crown, caught in some thicket, caught in some thorns, and provided for by God as a replacement for an undeserving child, a sinful child who was deserving of death. That sacrifice was provided in our place, and his name was Jesus. And the person who was in Isaac's shoes was you and was me, and God provided in that moment. And he was Jehovah Jireh, and it is on that mountain that the ram was provided for Isaac. The Lord provided it, and it was on that mountain that Jesus was provided for our sake. He is Jehovah Jireh. He will provide, and he always has provided, and he will always continue to provide. Proverbs 18.10 says, The name of the Lord is a strong tower, and the righteous man runs in it and is safe. His name carries meaning. His name carries power. Philippians 2, 9 through 11. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. See, God's name matters. It does. And because God's name matters, and because God's given us tongues to speak, 
and we can speak the name of God, that means that our words matter. Our words matter. They matter in what we say to and about God. I don't know if you realize this, you are carrying around an ability to speak a name that carries such profound meaning. You are carrying around a weapon, essentially, that has the power to bring life to you and to the people around you. It also has the power to bring condemnation to yourself and to the people around you. Proverbs 30, 8 through 9 says this, Remove far from me falsehood and lying, giving me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of God. See, the name of God is not a joke. It's not a throwaway word. If, you are, if you're in the habit, perhaps, let me kind of meddle here for a second. If you're in the habit of treating the name of the Lord like you would any other word, I have to ask you, what is the Lord's position in your life? Is he like anyone else in your life? Jesus said, and this is the Son of God, this is God himself said this in Matthew 12, 34, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Is God's name the name that you blurt out in frustration at the car in front of you? Is God's name, his, his holy name, the one that you mumble under your breath when a coworker does something stupid? Is his holy, righteous, and powerful name the one that you say when someone brings you a sonic drink and you say, oh my God, is that the level that you've placed God's name at? Is that the level that I've placed God's name at? How does that demonstrate the state of our hearts? Where is God seated in my heart that I can just throw his name out there? Now, my goal in this message, and I believe the goal of the Ten Commandments, is not even in, in the context of what Jesus has done for us in the gospel. I believe the goal of the Ten Commandments and for us is not even necessarily to change your behavior, but for you to have a heart inspection. For you to look into your heart, what is the state of my heart that I could even speak the name of Yahweh and not get lost in the majesty and the power of that name? What is the state of my heart that I could, could comprehend the name of Jesus and not get lost in just how beautiful it is and what it means? That's the name that saved me from an eternity in hell. That's the name of the God that loved me so much. God's word says God demonstrates his love for us and that while we were sinners, Christ died. That is, that is the name that that represents, the God that would do that for me. That is a name that commands power like I cannot fathom. That's a name of a God that spun galaxies into existence and created stars out of nothing and, and, and is currently knitting my baby together in my wife's womb. That is a God that is, is juggling all of this together and also knows the inward parts of my heart. That is who this God is. And when I speak the name of God, how does my mind not go to, wow, I can't even... I don't have enough time this morning to comprehend. I don't have enough time in my life to comprehend the majesty of that God. And I just say, oh my God, when somebody brings me a sonic drink. What does that mean? It says, don't take the, Lord, the name of the Lord, your God, in vain. What does vain mean? Vain means nothing. 
The most important thing that we could ever think about is what we think when we think about God. The most important thing we could ever talk about is what we say when we talk about God. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Listen to the reference that Jesus gives the name of God when he taught us how to pray. Matthew 6, verse 9, pray like this, O our Father in heaven, hallowed be your what? name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus, who is God, is there. He's literally God and is heaping praise upon the name of God. He's heaping gravity upon the name of God. I think we in the evangelical Christian church, um, we love to paint this picture of God as this loving, merciful, kind, just gentle father that just loves you and just wants your affection and just craves to be with you. And don't get me wrong, that's, that's all true. Like it's true, God does love you and he wants to pursue you and he wants a deeper relationship with you. But he's also more powerful than any one of us could ever even possibly imagine. He, he is more just than any one of us could possibly imagine. And I think because we're friends and we know Jesus, we're friends with the king's son, and perhaps because the king has adopted us, we think that somehow we're higher than we ought to think ourselves as. John Piper tells this story about kind of getting us in the mindset of this. He tells a story about this. He's like, put yourself in, in the picture of a kid who's out playing on the street in front of the palace of the king. And you're kicking around a soccer ball, you're doing your thing, you're playing, you're having fun. And all of a sudden, the, the son of the king comes out to play with you. And you become friends with the, the son of the king, and you're, you play with him, and you all hang out, and you're, you're friends for perhaps months, years, I don't know. You hang out, and he invites you to come into his house and meet his father. And you've, you've had jokes with this guy, you're friends with the, the son of the king, like your boys, right? Like, you all hang out, you're friends. And you laugh, you tell stories, you joke, you have a good time. And as you're walking into the palace, you know, you're still having fun. This is still your friend. And as you go through the room uh, and you're going down the hallway, you notice that there's like a, a certain change in the mood, certain change in the gravity of the situation. You're like, you're like climbers on the way to climb a large mountain. And you're in the car and you're laughing, you're carrying on, you're having a good time. But as you turn the corner into the valley and you see the mountain that you're about to climb, you see the face of that massive mountain, silence comes over the car. And the laughter was genuine and was real. And the silence and the gravity is genuine and it's real. And as you're coming through the, the hallway to the throne room, the, the sun, he gets really quiet and reverent, and he reaches out to the door, and he turns the handle and opens it up, and he goes, he enters the room, and you're friends with him, and you've never met a king, but you don't have to know what you're supposed to do. You didn't have to take a class to know what you're supposed to do. When the king's son hits the floor, and his face is before the father, he hits the floor, bowing down before his father, you don't have to, you don't have, to have taken a class to know that you're supposed to hit the floor as well. I, I, God is our Father, and He loves us. But I, the thing I, I would just challenge us on is I don't think we need to enter the run, enter the, the throne room. Christ declares that His name of the Father is to be hallowed. So let's not just go running into the throne room with an entitled attitude like we're supposed to be there, or perhaps like we deserve to be there because we don't. So treat the name of the Lord with respect. Our words matter in how we use the name of God. They matter in what we say to other people. 
Like, are we truthful in our speech? Matthew 5.33, this is Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, again, you have heard it said to, to those of, of old that you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it, is by the, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say simply be yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Hear me. And this is convicting. I feel like I'm just beating you guys up, and I'm sorry. Um, when you have to add qualifiers to what you say, to make it true, aren't you kind of insinuating that your baseline statement isn't true? When you have to say, I swear to God, you're kind of attaching the character of God to something that you're probably going to lie about. Is your yes not trustworthy enough? Is your, do you truly mean what you say? Do I truly mean what I say? Can we be trusted without adding qualifiers? We should simply let our yes be yes and our no be no. Exodus 20, verse 7, you shall not take. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. The word here for take literally means to bear, to lift up. It means that like you are taking the name, you are bearing the name of God. You shall not take it in vain. As you go, bear the name of God, not in vain. Bear the name of Jesus the name that is above every name. Bear it not in vain. Bear it in victory. Bear it as a person who is declaring the goodness of God, declaring the faithfulness of God, declaring the victory of God. Do not run with the banner of Christ if you're marching for things that Jesus came to defeat. Do not claim to bear the name of Jesus if you're declaring things that are against his will. Do not put a fish symbol on your car if you're going to be flipping people off in traffic. Hear me, like, I'm all for you buying Crossroads t-shirts, but don't wear a Crossroads t-shirt if you're going to go to a restaurant and not leave a tip. That reflects poorly on this church, but more than that, that reflects poorly on our Lord, and you're bearing his name. Do not bear it in vain. Bear it in victory. Be a person who's bringing life into your workplace. Be someone who is different. If we're bearing this name, this name that is above every name, this name that is powerful, this name that has the power to save your lost friends, bear it in a way that would draw them to that same king. Call people to take on the name of God, but do it in victory, not in vain. Our words matter because they express things about God to the rest of, us, to the, rest of the world around us. But not only do our words matter, our name matters. Our name matters. See, our world is all about defining you and naming you. Our world will look at you and will describe all sorts of different names and all sorts of categories to put you in, what box that you fit into. Our world loves to do that. Kids do this to each other all the time. Y'all know this to be true. They'll find that insecurity, whatever it is, and they will just poke at it, and it's relentless. But did you know that those same kids grow up and become adults, and they do the exact same thing? It may not say it, it may be a little bit more passive, a little bit more clever, a little bit more smooth, but it's the same thing. They poke at it. Praise God that we serve a God that will adamantly fight for and defend his own name, but praise God even more, maybe not more, but praise God all the same, that we serve a God that will take your old cursed name and will give you a new one. 
See, when God created man, he called Adam. He called him Adam. And Adam comes from the Hebrew word Adama, which means ground. It means dirt. It means soil. Genesis 3.17, this is during the fall. And to Adam, God said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat. Cursed is the ground. So he said, and to Adam, Adama, dirt, soil, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground, Adama, dirt, soil, because of you. In pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. So Adam's name means dirt, soil. When Adam sinned, the very dirt, the very soil became cursed. Because of the sins of each of us, we have heaped cursed. We've heaped curse. We've heaped sin. We've heaped shame upon our name, upon ourselves. We have changed our very identity from who God created us to be. But we serve a God that is in the business of restoring names. This world may look at you and say that you're dumb for believing all this, but Scripture says this, 1 Corinthians 1.18, For the word of the cross is folly, or is foolishness, to those who are perishing. But to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So people may look at you and think you're dumb, but Scripture says that it's going to be dumb to those who are dead. But for us who are living, it's salvation. The world may say that you're afflicted and perplexed. They may say that you're persecuted or even struck down. But God's word says this, 2 Corinthians 4, 8 through 9, we are afflicted in every way but not crushed. We are perplexed but not driven to despair. We are persecuted but not forsaken. We're struck down but not destroyed. The world may say that you're blind, but we serve a God who can give you sight. The world may say that you're deaf, but God can bring hearing They may say that you're dead, but God can say to Lazarus, he can say to JD, he can say to Jason, Crystal, Mike, Don, Carla, he can say to any one of us, he can say, Lazarus, come out of that grave. And he has. may say that you're dead, but you're not. Hear this, they may say that you are not enough, but God will declare his name to you, Yahweh. They may say you're not enough, but he will say, Yahweh, I am I am enough. And he is. He changes your name. You used to be dead, blind, deaf, terrified, but now if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. If you're in Christ, you are no longer a slave to sin. Romans 6, 14 says, For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under the law but under grace. Sin is still your enemy, but it is no longer your master. You have a new master. And that master has said, For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Those of you who know this to be true, can I get a good amen? amen. 1 John 5.13 says this, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. If you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I plead with you, let today be the day. Scripture says, Psalm 34, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. If you have not tasted, if you have not seen, ask somebody who has. If you have not tasted, you have not seen, come talk to me. If you have not tasted, you have not seen, our prayer team is going to be in the corner. They want to pray with you during this next song. As we sing, I pray that you would come. Well, let's pray. It's in Jesus' name. Lord, you are so good. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. God, you are good. God, you are powerful. God, you are amazing. God, you are provider. You're our banner, you're our healer, you are our salvation. God, I pray 
For those of us who do not know you today, Lord, I pray that today would be the salvation. Lord, I pray that today you would go to their house like you went to the Zacchaeus' house and you would say that salvation has come to this house. God, your name is high, your name is mighty, your name is powerful. Lord, I pray that we would recognize the greatness of the name who we get to call our Father, our Abba, our God. God, you're good. We praise you. We lift high your name as we sing. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.